This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Hello, Maddie Guest. How are we on this fine day? <laughs> We're good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm in a bit of a like mood. I just got a flashback to like probably this time last year when you asked me that and you said, but how are you really? And I just <laughs> burst into tears and we had to cut out like 15 minutes of recording. Sasha was with us, went and made me a tea. It was like, when you said that, I was like, oh, is it going to happen again? No. The best thing about that was when you were like, should we just keep recording? Like, it's fine. I'll just cry. And I'm like, no, I think we need to take a, a break and we need to work out why you're crying. And we'll come back to it in a little bit later. Oh, uh, dear. It's good to just let it out sometimes, you know? Anyway, let's move along. <laughs> so, so in this series, we have been getting our listeners, you guys, to basically get in contact to dial in in a podcast format, give us a call and leave a voice recording for what you would like us to. I guess deep dive into a company that you love but you want to know is it a good investment so let's chuck it over to the dial in as Maddie will call it and the community member this week Hey guys, I was recently telling a friend about purchases I'd made at Kmart to deck out our rental place and how good they were it really got me thinking is Kmart a good investment? So I'm so excited for today's episode because Turns out I am a big user of Wes Farmers or Kmart's parent company's companies. <laughs> yeah, they are a true conglomerate, which we can get into, and they own many a company that we probably use day to day. But as the listener did say then, one of them is Kmart, and a lot of their products are probably being sold at the moment because honestly, with everything rising so much, I feel like a lot of people are turning towards cheaper products where possible. Which leads us very nicely, Soph, to step number one of building our investment thesis. Today, we are going to talk through our six steps for deciding whether or not something is a good investment. And step number one is to pick your opportunity. So if what is the opportunity? How did we stumble across this one? Yeah, I guess as I said before, Kmart is one of those places that you kind of turn to for the cheaper products. I know that when I've looked at a couple of things recently, for example, I've looked for new bedside tables and it's really easy to go to somewhere like Kmart because they sell like $30 bedside tables that actually look good. 
My bedside tables, I have two of them, both came up. Yeah, and I feel like it's because they, when you Google search anything, because we are in Australia, if you type in bedside tables, it's probably one of the biggest brands that comes up. But I also did read that they have done a permanent decrease of thousand of their products over the past two weeks of the price. And so honestly, the opportunity is that with prices rising for everything else, it's maybe an area where people are going to be start putting their money more is into that cheaper range of products. Yeah, that one caught my eye because I feel like at the moment, all the headlines are saying that prices are rising and cost of living is going up. So for Kmart to come out and say that they are permanently decreasing prices on such a big range of their products, it's really going against the broader market. Interestingly, though, they never have sales. Like everywhere has a sale, but Kmart never does a sale. It's always their prices are exactly what they are. Isn't that funny? I mean, I guess they can't get a whole lot cheaper than what they are at the moment. True. Discount the $3 pillows. Yeah. (laughs) So, so Soph, let's move on to step number two of building the investment thesis, which is to build the story. So if you are our historian today, take it away. What do we need to know about the history of Kmart? So I'll keep it brief, but the history of West Farmers, which by the way is W-E-S Farmers, not West Farmers. I did notice. I don't know if it was a typo or you learned that during this process, but there was a few West Farmers throughout our notes. Yeah, look, I got confused, but it is West (laughs) Farmers if you're looking it up. But it actually did originate in Western Australia. So that's probably where my mind went. But West Farmers is like a hundred year old company. It dates back all the way back to the 1900s. And it actually started because there was farmers in Western Australia who felt like they needed some help in terms of like trade and unionizing and better pay and less hours. So in 1914, a guy called Walter Harper, who really shaped the beginning of West Farmers, brought together like a co-op of farmers and a co-op, by the way, because I did have to look this up, is just a, a group of different farmers that are in you know the trading industry. It's kind of like a union, right? Yeah. I was a bit confused by it, but there's actually a few Australian companies that were originally co-ops, which is just like a community of you know, similar industry players and they all come together and they created a company which was West Farmers. So originally it was just a group of farmers that were actually trying to make, you know, trading conditions better back in the 1900s. And so how did West Farmers go from, I guess, a group of farmers to starting to take on the different companies and sort of become what it looks like today? So it grew, it really organically grew by them taking on, you know, new co-ops and acquiring similar farming spaces. And by the 1970s, it started to really grow out of that cooperative structure. And so they listed on the ASX in 1984, but they kind of created a really unique structure so that the co-ops of the founding members retained their control in the company. So they still had 60% of the company. I imagine a lot of money stayed with them through that structure as well. Exactly. Well, I think they were just trying to protect the rights of the farmers. It was always all about that. So when they listed, they, you know, when you list on a stock exchange, it becomes a public company. Anyone can buy shares, but they were just trying to keep it so that people that were there from the beginning really retained that wealth. But by 2001, further restructuring saw them dismantle this structure and that legacy and it became a freely traded public company, which is exciting. So when did Wes Farmers really start to acquire some of the businesses that we know it for today? Yeah, so the the growth story of Wes Farmers really falls into acquisitions like this company just acquired 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 so one of the bigger names that everyone will know is Bunnings and in 1987 it made its initial investment into Bunnings of 10% and in 
percent, but by 1994 it actually acquired a hundred percent of Bunnings. So that was one of the big acquisitions. Bunnings Warehouse, <laughs> the lowest prices are just the beginning. Do do do. Thanks so much for that, Maddie. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. <laughs> That's my addition to the history section. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So Bunnings was one of the big ones. I mean, they made a lot of acquisitions before that, but another big one that people would know is Coles Supermarket. So in 2007, they acquired Coles. And along with that came a lot of brands that we know today, which we've already mentioned. So Kmart, Target and Officeworks. And one of my favorites that they also acquired, I believe in 2019, was Catch Group. So you know that um, website, Catch of the Day. And the reason why it's one of my favorites is because there is a fantastic book called Catch of the Decade, which is by the founders of Catch Group, Gabby and Hezzy Leibovich. They are brothers. Did you read this? Because I've recommended it to you multiple times. <laughs> no, I don't think I ever have. It's a fantastic book and it's all about how the pair, I guess, built up their business. It's an incredible story. So I highly recommend going and listening to or reading, I listened to the audiobook, Catch of the Decade by Gabby and Hezzy Leibovich. Yeah, so you're right. So Catch also came under the West Farmers umbrella in 2019. And I mean, since then, it's acquired more. It had Officeworks already, but it's also now got Geeks to You, which is a part of the little Officeworks brand. It's acquired Adelaide Tools, which, you know, kind of works that whole Bunnings story, Beaumont Tiles. And the most recent investment it made last year was in Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, which encompasses brands like Priceline. So from its very humble beginnings of being, you know, a pharma co-op, it now has a crazy umbrella of brands and I would consider it probably one of Australia's only conglomerates, which, by the way, I feel like in a lot of podcasts in the past, we have used that word wrong, conglomerate. It's like a real, it's like a real. So true. We actually have. Like, yeah. It's a massive conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. Like conglomerate's like an empire kind of thing, you know, like a, like a company that really encompasses heaps of industries and lots of companies. I feel like sometimes we've just used it for like BHP. <laughs> so true. Okay. So that brings us to Wes Farmers as it is today. One of Australia's largest conglomerates, like you said, and it's actually the 10th largest company on the ASX and it's only behind miners big banks and CSL. So it's pretty up there in terms of size. And to set the scene, the total revenue for last year, 2022, because they haven't released 23 figures yet, total revenue was $36.8 billion. So it's a really big company for setting the scene. Great job, historian. I think you've nailed that. And you've done it slightly more concisely than I did at last week for Loria, where I got very overexcited about the founder's history in Nazi Germany. I got strict instructions. You've got a minute. You've got a minute to tell the history. We cut out a lot, by the way. <laughs> you did well, but I have to say it is really great too. I guess when we're looking at these big companies, especially the ones on the ASX, it's so important when you are understanding whether or not a company is a good investment to just understand the history and where that company has come from. You know, you really want to build out the story because I think it tells us a lot about the company, the founders, the leaders, and that very much plays into, at least for us, whether or not it's a company that we want to invest in. Knowing the history as well really ties in nicely to step number three, which we usually use when building out the investment thesis, which is know the market. Because knowing the history of the company and knowing that it's an acquisitive company and it has many different areas. Acquisitive, which means? It acquires a lot. <laughs> a lot. Well done. 
Just maybe people didn't know what acquisitive means in this context. <laughs> no, you're right. And knowing that it acquires a lot means that knowing the market for a company like this is actually quite difficult because it has so much internal diversification. Yeah. I mean, the competitors for Bunnings are completely different to Kmart, to the to Officeworks and to, you know, API, the Priceline business. So it's quite difficult. Maybe let's leave that one for the moment because when we talk about the next step we're going to deep dive a little bit more into each of the individual companies so maybe we can talk about the competition there but before we get there let's take a quick break for our sponsors i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So before the break, we talked about how we identified Kmart or its parent company, Wes Farmers, as an investing opportunity. And then you, our wonderful historian, gave us the backstory to the big news story. Where did I just get that saying from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one is not a Wes Farmers one. But anyway, we will push on. Step number four is to understand what is the moat for the business. So the moat being, you know, the competitive advantage of a company is really important because you want it to be, you know, the number one in its industry. And I think for West Farmers, one of its biggest moats is that it has such brand presence in Australia. Yeah, if you have a look in the top 50 retailers by search volume, Wes Farmers actually owns number one, four, 10, 11, 13, 16, and 29 of the top 50 companies that come up. We're talking about companies like Bunnings, Officeworks, Target, Catch, Priceline, the list goes on. And interestingly, Bunnings actually comes out on top compared to Amazon, which probably would shock a lot of Americans or maybe even people from the UK. But like Amazon is so big globally. And so I like I found it surprising that Bunnings is actually searched more online than it is on Amazon. The reason why brand presence is so important is that it just entrenches itself in society. So if I'm like, hey, Mads, I've got to go do some home fittings or whatever this weekend and you've previously. (laughs) (laughs) What? Just got to go do some home fittings. (laughs) Yeah. And we just know that Bunnings is the brand to do that. You're going to say it and then it's going to be word of mouth. And I think word of mouth is probably one of the most powerful marketing tools that there is. So that is a massive moat for West Farmers. Which leads us nicely to the next point that I want to talk about, and that is market share. So for Bunnings in particular, if we try and think about who their competition is, Mitre 10 is probably the biggest one that comes to mind. And they actually launched a marketing campaign last year repositioning itself against Bunnings, taking the slogan, the other hardware store. And I think that just goes to show how entrenched Bunnings is in our minds as Australians, as the go-to place for hardware and for, you know, DIY. The leaders, I think, of Mitre 10 actually came out and said that it's really hard to compete because Bunnings has just become so synonymous with 
Australians when they go to shop for DIY needs and we really are on autopilot when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah and I think another thing that we've spoken about before is Bunnings it obviously is a hardware store but it's so much more of an experience than that. I mean maybe it sounds a bit comical but almost it became more of an experience during COVID because it was one of those places that you could go. Obviously if you haven't heard of the Bunnings sausage sizzle before you're probably not from Australia because a Bunnings sausage sizzle is so entrenched in our society it creates a consumer experience that maybe a normal retail store wouldn't? Well, I think that sausage sizzle has gone global in its popularity because I know that earlier this year, British rock star Rod Stewart, he was spotted at a budding store in Sydney's Northern Beaches, having just finished his Australian tour and he couldn't get one because it wasn't the weekend and apparently he was devastated. But people everywhere have come to know that, you know, budding sausage sizzles, they're famous. But in saying that, we all love Bunnings, but there also is an argument that, you know, it's kind of the consumer grade type products, but really for tradies and larger suppliers, it doesn't necessarily meet all the needs, which to be honest, is probably who it matters most. Like tradies are probably buying a lot more products than what we would be buying. Yeah, I have been reading though that Bunnings has been doing a lot to try and sort of shift that perspective. So they've now got this program called Power Pass, which is sort of for trade customers. It launched in 2018. It's a customer type program and it basically allows trade or commercial customers to, you know, avoid queues, access discounts, track their purchases. It simplifies, you know, the returns and things like that. They can also have a credit limit on it. So it sort of helps small businesses with those cash flow needs. So whilst they did previously have that perception and maybe they still do, I would say that the leaders at Bunnings are hyper aware of that. And like you said, that they they know that that market is a massive one to tap into. So they're definitely working hard to do so. The positive sides seem very entrenched. You know, they're a big brand in Australia, but I did have to deep dive into why maybe Bunnings doesn't have as much growth left into it. Okay, talk to me. Well, one of the main things I found, which was quite interesting, it kind of comes into its growth story in two parts. The first is that it tried to expand into the international market. So in 2018, it acquired a company called Homebase, which is kind of a big similar retailer in the UK. And they had this big plan and they did so much DD due diligence, which is like looking into the background of it all. Uh, And they were like, we're going to go over there and let the operations run as they are and slowly we'll start rebranding as Bunnings. But they really failed in that strategy because a seconded management team that were from Australia went over there and got rid of like half of the management on the floor. I mean, that's your first error. (laughs) That's your first error, exactly. But it pretty much cost Bunnings a billion dollars and they had to divest from the company. So one thing that kind of flagged for me was that in their growth story, they failed in international markets. And just a note there, like international markets, the UK, the US, they're so much bigger than the retailing that we could provide in Australia. So one big issue is that if they were ever going to try and do international markets again, they wouldn't be able to fail. They'd really have to nail it because you could you can't have two failures of that kind of size. I wonder how much of that was the Bunnings leadership not understanding the local market versus Australia just being such a big sort of DIY country. Like I want to understand or I wonder just how cultural Bunnings is and the success of Bunnings is to Australia and whether, you know, America and the UK and this could be completely wrong, but I just feel like we have a much more sort of do-it-yourself attitude, whereas maybe overseas it's not the case. So companies like Bunnings just aren't as popular and successful. Yeah, well, there was a couple of arguments around 
the home base had more of a female skewed market. Interesting. It wasn't just DIY and maybe that's where they kind of were a bit hindered. I think also it was saying like there was a couple of bank holidays which are meant to be their busiest day of the year. I mean, apparently bank holidays are massive in the UK and there was like wet weather on both those days. So there was like terrible sales and something like that can just completely screw a deal apparently. So I guess the big argument there is that Bunnings makes up almost half of West Farmers' business and when they tried to grow, when they tried to move international, they failed at doing so. So potentially could really sort of limit their growth prospects there. And then the last argument in terms of the growth prospects, because we'll have to move on from Bunnings, is just actually growing in Australia can be hard because as we've mentioned, a massive part of West Farmers' strategy has been to acquire other companies. But in Australia, we have something called the ACCC, which is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. And they will block deals if they think a company has too much market share. So when Bunnings was trying to acquire Adelaide Tools back in 2020, they almost blocked that deal because they thought that there wasn't going to be enough competition in the hardware market. So just another one to note when thinking about Bunnings growth, they've struggled internationally. They might struggle to acquire more in the Australian market because of market share. So it's just a good background thought after saying that, you know, they're an incredible company and they're entrenched in society, that there is a downside potentially as well. The head of Mitre 10 came out and said that they were aware that Bunnings had approached at least seven Mitre 10 stores to take them over this year and was basically accusing them of anti-competitive behavior. I think it might even be in court at the moment. So there is a real question, like you said, around, I guess, Bunnings' ability to keep getting bigger in Australia because it's just got too much of the market already. Let's move on. The one that we've all been waiting for. Kmart, Kmart group. Good old Kmart. Kmart is killing it. (laughs) (laughs) Kmart is killing it. I was actually just having a chat to Ren before I came up, who is part of the Equity Mates team. And he used to work at Coles. And he was telling me that when Kmart was under Coles, if you take yourself back to the 2010s, Soph, just try and put yourself in that mindset. You know, Big W and Target really were the big dogs at that point and Kmart was actually seriously struggling as a business. So a new leader came in and he completely turned that around. Even things like apparently when he came in, Kmart had 13 different plate providers just for plates. And they're like, okay, let's strip this business. Let's make it much more clean in terms of how it's run, but also just simplify it and, you know, really get to the core of what we're doing. Because what I didn't realize is Kmart Group actually includes Target as well. So they set it up where Kmart was going to focus more on the homewares, which is what we sort of what we touched on earlier with things like bedside tables, whereas Target was going to go sort of more down the angle of fast fashion. Yeah, like the retailing side of the company, which I feel like brings us really nicely to talk about the anchor. Anko. (laughs) (laughs) A-N-K-O. Which is the Kmart developed in-house brand, which has actually been such a massive success for the company. Have you come across the products before? Oh, gosh, yeah. I use it like all the time. I think we have pots and pans and knives that are all Anko. It's great. Yeah, I was looking at before online all the different comparisons and one of them was like Le Creuset pots, which are like, you know, $800, like a household staple in a sense that you have it forever. But like the Anko pot is like 80 bucks and it looks exactly the same. It does the exact same thing. I'll offend some of my friends who are big cooks, but yes. I'm sure it doesn't do the exact same thing. It probably lasts like nowhere near as long, but for 
I guess, accessibility to the market and for being able to buy cheap, still pretty good quality products, it is absolutely hitting the spot. And I think that's been the biggest part of Kmart's success story and why they've really seen over the past couple of years a rise in sales is because they've replicated products that people love, done it in a cheaper way, but have almost made them not tacky. Totally. If that makes any sense. To put some numbers on it, Big W, which is owned by Woolworths, is probably the biggest competitor to Kmart. And they recorded $4.4 billion of revenue in financial year 22. And that is compared to Kmart Group's $9.13 billion. So obviously we aren't comparing apples with apples there because the Kmart Group also includes Target. But, you know, it's still a good representation of the different in market share there. So negative side then of Kmart, because we do have to look at the bear case, obviously, And by the way, if you ever want to just like have a bit of fun, type in Kmart on TikTok because I was trying to look up negative sides and it's so hilarious. I was doing that today too. (laughs) But (laughs) there was a girl who was like, why would you shop at Kmart? Because look at this jumper. It's falling apart before you even take it out the store door. And I think that does bring up a really, really, really valid negative argument is that a lot of the Kmart products are, you know, cheaper products that are made in India and China. There's a lack of transparency necessarily around where they come from. And they are unfortunately probably not great in terms of sustainability. I think a lot of the Kmart product reviews that I was getting off TikTok, which is actually great market research, by the way, if you ever do want to use TikTok for those kind of things, is the products you can buy them for cheap, but you're chucking them out the next day. And that's not the next day, but maybe the next week or the, you know, a couple of weeks down the track. And that's, I mean, not weeks, like your pots, you're not chucking out after a couple of weeks, but I know what you mean. But like, you know, the jumpers that I've seen were fraying already, you know, before they left the door. But all I'm trying to say is that, you know, I think in terms of the environmental side, it's, it's not positively ESG. Agreed. But they are working to improve this, aren't they? Yes. So there was a report released this year actually by Baptist World Aid Australia and it's a 10-year anniversary to unfortunately a disastrous event where a thousand factory workers were killed in Bangladesh and it was because of really poor working conditions in the fashion industry. But this report was released and it was showing how brands have transformed over the past 10 years since that and Kmart was actually one of the top five brands for making progress in this area and Although I did say before that they're not transparent, they do publish a factory list every six months where all their materials are produced. But why I say that it's not transparent is because these lists are freaking massive. And so even though you can look at them, it doesn't really show where things are coming from and you don't really know where you're getting your stuff from. That is a bit of a deep dive into Bunnings, which is just under half of the revenue for West Farmers. We've also covered the Kmart group, which is 25% of the revenue, and that covers Kmart, Target and Catch. The other sort of portion of the business is chemicals, energy and fertilizers, as well as office works, which are much smaller parts. But let's move on to step number five, which is be your own devil's advocate. I feel like we've spoken a little bit like devil's advocate already about the two big brands. I think maybe another one is just that these retailers do great in Australia, as we've mentioned, but like I think there's going to be competition that comes in from cheaper brands. I know that we can mention things like Amazon because, you know, they're massive, but even like I'm getting notifications now for new brands like Temu, 
and like other retailers overseas and they sell really similar stuff but just for even cheaper prices. So I just wonder like what's going to happen with the growth of these companies when so much competition is rife online. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess with the rise of online shopping, it really does sort of remove all those barriers. So more and more companies like that that can offer good products for cheap prices is just going to really compete with the likes of West Farmers. Is there any other devil's advocate that you've come across? One that I found quite interesting was this concept that West Farmers or these brands that we've been talking about aren't particularly recession proof. And at first that concept surprised me a little bit because my initial thoughts on that were when the cost of living is rising and when times are getting tougher, I'm more likely to shop at the likes of Kmart because they have cheaper products. But I guess the devil's advocate argument to that is the general population that tends to shop at these sort of discount chains is actually really cutting back on spending at the moment. And I guess in a sort of bit of a dichotomy, you know, it's actually the luxury brands where consumers are less affected by cost of living just because they have more money generally. You know, they are struggling less and some of these lower cost discount stores are struggling more. You know, Best and Less has suffered majorly. Big W is really struggling. Also different business, but Domino's like really doing really poorly in Australia. So I just thought it was an interesting sort of counter argument to what my initial thought process was, which was, you know, these companies are going to be doing better. And Kmart is doing better, actually, unlike its competitors, Best and Less and Big W. But there is that counter argument that in tougher times, you know, the general population that shop at these stores are going to be cutting back even more. And it's good to have an overlay, I think, as well, just about the economic environment, just because it's done well over the past year. It doesn't mean it's going to not going to be hit by potential more recession-y type environment like going forward. The only other devil's advocate point that, again, was really interesting because it's a bit of a like a positive and a negative is that I was reading about over-diversification, mm. which is just that because West Farmers is invested in so many different industries, there's, I guess, a strain of thought that thinks if you are invested in so many industries, then you're not going to do every industry well. But I did find it industry- interesting because they were saying that, you know, you don't really necessarily get down to the nitty gritty of that particular industry and become an industry leader when when you have to focus on so many different industries. Yeah, I mean, past performance would indicate that they have been able to do that quite well, but they do continue, and we're going to get into the healthcare division in a second, they do continue to just go into completely new things. So I guess it does remain to be seen. That's a perfect segue, Maddie, into point number six, which is our (laughs) final point of building an investment thesis is looking at the future. Like, is this a company that I want to be investing in the long term? And as you said, they made an acquisition last year into the healthcare industry. Can you tell us a bit about why they've done that? Initially, when I was thinking about Wes Farmers, I did sort of question, you know, it's quite a mature business. Like you said, it's been around for over 100 years. And so my initial thought was, how much ability does Wes Farmers have to continue growing? And the answer to that really is through its acquisitions. And we touched on last week when we were talking about the L'Oreal episode, how they have this ability to, I guess, grow via acquisition and just to continue scaling and going into new sort of divisions and sectors of the market. And that is exactly what Wes Farmers is doing here. Last year in 2022, Wes Farmers took the Australian pharmaceutical industry API private with a takeover offer, which was worth over $750 million. 
And the managing director of Wes Farmers, Rob Scott, at the time said, and I'm just going to go into reading mode for a second, that API would form the basis of a new healthcare division of Wes Farmers and a base from which to invest and develop capabilities in the health and well-being sector. So we know health and wellness is obviously very topical at the moment. So I guess Wes Farmers is trying to position itself to benefit from that. Yeah. And to my point about, you know, if they're over-diversifying, I think I counter it by saying that they're obviously taking on a team that are focused and have been focused on the health and wellness industry for a very long time because the people that have come across from API, that's also a very mature business that has amazing people within it. But it's interesting that they have even noticed themselves that to grow, they actually have to go into a completely different sector because maybe other industries are stabilizing a little bit. I don't know, but, you know, it's just a thought. Yeah, and to add to that sort of new strategy, last month West Farmers acquired the telehealth company called Instant Scripts for $135 million to sort of try and help scale that division. Instant Scripts was actually only founded in 2018, so it's still a pretty new company, but it provides those virtual medical sort of consultations and prescriptions to patients. So it has grown massively. You can imagine, I mean, founding that company in 2018, not knowing that COVID was heading your way, like how lucky is that? Last year, the company had more than 1 million interactions with Australian patients. So really big and hopefully successful investment for West Farmers there. And in also news today, date of recording, it's the 25th of July that we are recording one week earlier than what you're listening today or whenever you're listening, but they actually have made a merger between Target and Kmart. So Target is being rolled up into the Kmart brand. And the reason for this is that they found that they've really struggled over the past couple of years to integrate technology into Target. As you mentioned before, Target's more that fashion retailer, whereas Big W is the homewares. And so having them all across one platform, they've realized is going to bring more cost savings to them by being able to implement technology across the whole business. So I think in that looking to the future argument, it's like management are thinking in the right direction that if it's a bit of a hard period in terms of costs and costs are increasing, they're really focusing on where they can find cost savings. And this is a smart way that they can do this through owning so many brands. So, Soph, to round this out, going back to the initial question, we love Kmart, aka we love West Farmers, but is it a good investment? What do you think? I think West Farmers is a blue chip ASX listed stock. People absolutely love it and hold in their portfolios for a really long time. So I think on the one side, it compasses almost like the Australian dream. It really does. But on the other side, if you are looking for, you know, potentially higher growth, maybe it's a really mature company, whether or not they can pivot to find that higher growth, whether they'll succeed in the healthcare market, they're kind of big question marks for me. Well, hopefully that is a great platform for you to go and do your own research as always, because of course, this is not investment advice. This is just sharing our process for learning and sort of helping you to kickstart that process yourself. It's just a history lesson, really. You're just getting a history lesson of this company and then you have to go off and work it out for yourself. (laughs) Exactly right. But if you enjoyed today's episode, we would love if you could share it with a friend. And if you haven't gone back and listened to the three other episodes we've done already, we've done Barbie, Mattel, done Tesla, we've done L'Oreal, go have a listen to them. And we would love to hear your thoughts or questions. So please get in touch on 
Facebook YJC Investing Podcast discussion group where there are 2,000 plus other listeners or YJC Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Otherwise, you'll hear from us next week to jump into another company that you guys want to learn about. Catch you then. Bye. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.